0: Top international sports figures rubbed elbows in different parts of Canada this week. In the United States, Boston's bid leaders are marking slightly increased public support. One politician, however, says Boston 2024 still lacks much-needed transparency. You're listening to the latest Sunday edition of ATR Radio. I'm Nicole Bennett. The 2015 Pan American Games officially opened in Toronto on Friday following a week of celebrations in both the Ontario capital and Montreal. IOC President Thomas Bach made the rounds in Toronto ahead of the 2015 Pan Ams and also made a stop in Montreal for a celebration hosted by the Canadian Olympic Committee. The visit marked Bach's first trip back to Montreal since the 1976 Olympics. Almost 39 years ago, Bach won a gold medal in fencing at the Montreal Games. On Thursday, received a key to the city of Montreal during a celebration of Canada Olympic Excellence Day over 2000 guests were there for the festivities which took place all over the city dozens of olympians from around the world who've taken part in the three games held in Canada were invited to a celebratory lunch guests included perfect 10 gymnast Nadia Comăneci and figure skater Katarina Witt I spoke with Around the Rings editor Ed Hula on Thursday on the heels of having just covered the celebration and Bach's trip back to Montreal. Here's an excerpt from that interview. So Ed, what did this day mean for Thomas Bach, and how did he commemorate the last time that he was in Montreal for the Olympics?
1: Well, right now he is on the campus of the University of Montreal, where in 1976, the The young man got his fencing gold medal. He visited the uh, venue, the uh, sports center, which is now used as an ice rink, but the venue where he did win that that gold medal, obviously uh, an emotional moment for him. It's the first time he's been back to Montreal since winning that gold in 1976. And uh, you may hear the Olympic hymn in the background right now. There's a... uh, small ceremony here at the university where he's going to be awarded an honorary doctorate degree.
0: And I know you mentioned uh, in the story that you sent us today, Did he, he recreated the moment that he won the gold medal today, right?
1: Well, not quite. We thought there was going to be a little bit of fencing from, from President Bach, but no, there were a couple of fencers on the mat in the venue, and they uh, engaged in a little bit of sword play. Bach was... Uh, simply a spectator for that. Interesting, though, to be in that venue, to see the pictures of him as a 1976 Olympian. And a nice touch, a couple of people dressed up in uniforms from Montreal of 1976 as well.
0: Hula said Bach was careful and encouraging toward Toronto's hopes of hosting a Summer Olympics, possibly as soon as 2024. ATR Associate Editor Nick Devlin spoke with Hula earlier this week, and the two discussed Bach's direct approach with NOC leaders of the Americas, addressing their concerns in a one-on-one fashion. Here's more from that interview.
2: And uh, President Bach also spent uh, a couple hours talking to the, uh, speaking, answering questions at the General Assembly. For the uh, Pan American Sports Organization. That was, uh, that was a little, seemed a little unusual,
3: right? Well, it, it's just part of a new style of IOC presidency where he is, uh, happy to come and talk about what the IOC is doing and at the same time listen to comments from members of the, members of the uh, delegation at the Continental Association meetings. Um, he spent an hour or more reviewing highlights from Olympic agenda 2020 and the impact it's already had. For example, in the case of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, he said six months of work has resulted in savings of $1.7 billion in venue costs uh, as a result of, uh, of of Olympic agenda 2020 and negotiations to uh, re, re reset the venues for the Tokyo games. Um, uh, the Olympic TV channel, uh, there's no clear deadline set for launching it, he said, but said they wanted to get it right and they want to make a good first impression, and he said you only get one time to make a good first impression, and they're going to be very careful as to when they want to officially launch the channel, he said. Uh, it's going to include live sports events. It's going to include news coverage as well as the archive uh, videos that the uh, IOC has in its library. It's going to be a very active and uh, dynamic type of TV channel, it sounds like, uh, and it was, I think, the most extensive description we've gotten of the Olympic TV channel so far.
2: So what are we hearing or what's being said, slash what's your opinion about the possibility of, of Toronto? I guess it's natural with, natural with a, a multi-sport event being hosted there. But uh, what's your take on the, the speculation about Toronto as an Olympic city?
3: Well, it's going to be a difficult, difficult situation for them to come to grips with because they've got to make a decision if they bid for 2024 by September 15th. They have invested $750 million in sports infrastructure in Ontario, the province here. The biggest investment in sports infrastructure ever been made for uh, for Canada. That includes the past winter olympic games in calgary and vancouver as well as the montreal olympics of 1976 so they want to do something with all this stuff but right now their minds are focused on the pan-american games and getting through those through the end of the month ioc president thomas bach yesterday was asked by cbc whether the city had what it takes whether it should consider an olympic bid it's bid twice before And he was very careful, encouraging and saying, let's see how the Pan Am games uh, pan out. That it's something that the city needs to think about and consider whether it can do it. But he was in no no way discouraging. He he plays it very carefully at this stage of the game. And, of course, he'd like to have as many cities as possible. I think the complication for Toronto most immediately is, a bid from the United States, in this case Boston, Massachusetts, for 2024. That kind of complicates things, uh, uh, but but remains to be seen. Uh, maybe a successful Games, and they'll really be talking about it uh, and saying what's next. The Olympics would be next.
0: In other news concerning the 2024 Olympic bidding race, the United Independent Party, a group pushing for a ballot question barring any state spending on a potential 2024 Olympics in Boston, has dismissed a state budget amendment as smoke and mirrors. The amendment, included by lawmakers in a compromised $38.1 billion spending plan, would require public hearings and legislative approval before taxpayers' money could be spent on the Olympics. Statewide support in Massachusetts for holding the games in Boston appears appears to have slightly increased since organizers proposed a new plan last month. In the first poll conducted by WBUR since Boston 2024 presented its new proposal, 42% of voters in the state said they supported Boston's hosting the Olympics. 50% said they opposed it. Evan Falchuk, leader of the United Independent Party, said in a statement to the AP last week that allowing legislators to approve spending creates an Olympic-sized loophole. Falchuk, who ran for governor of Massachusetts last year, spoke with Around the Rings on Friday. He discussed the premise behind the UIP's proposed 2016 ballot question and recalled the surprise many Bostonians felt last January when the U.S. Olympic Committee chose Boston to bid for the 2024 Games.
2: If we go back to the beginning of of this year, when it was first announced for us here in Massachusetts that the USOC had picked Boston, um, that came as a surprise to most people around here. There really was not much in the way of any kind of public engagement around the Olympics at all over the last year or so. And in fact, I ran for governor last year, and this was just not a topic of discussion as part of that. And then all of a sudden in January, here's this really big deal going on, and, and it turns out that so many people in the in the political realm were involved in this. And that put you know most of the public really on alert about what was going on. And um, the major issue that people have been concerned about is, are taxpayers going to pay for the Olympics? And the people from Boston 2024 have been telling uh, the public for for months. I mean, starting in in January that they wanted a private a privately funded Olympics um, and that they weren't going to need money from taxpayers. And it was one of the things that was going to be different about what they were doing because it was tied to agenda 2020. And just part of the overall uh, history of American games is that that's the direction they go, but they wanted to have a new model, compact, walkable Olympics. And, and, you know, that was inherent in what their proposal was. It turns out, because most people listening to that didn't believe it, and then it turns out um, a couple months ago, people did a public records request and got portions of the bid book that hadn't been released to the public. And in that bid book, it said that they were looking for certainly hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer financing. Think about it from the perspective of an ordinary Massachusetts resident. People knew almost nothing about the fact that Boston had submitted a bid in the first place. And all of a sudden there's a press conference, which interestingly enough was on the same day that the governor was inaugurated, in which there's the new governor standing next to the mayor in front of Boston 2024 logo, which no one had ever seen before. With all these happy people around um, at this press conference talking about how much of a big deal this is, and people are looking at that saying, I don't even understand what this is. What do you, what do you mean? Are, they, are the Olympics actually coming to Massachusetts? Who submitted a bid? What does this mean? Where did this come from? Who are, what is that logo? Who's behind this? You know, It was really amazing, actually. It was very surreal in a lot of ways.
0: That's been an issue for them from the start is people asking for more transparency in the process. And I know bid leaders have accounted for taxpayer money that would be spent on transportation and infrastructure. So is that a part of your ballot question? Do you account for that?
2: Uh, Transportation is is allowed. We're not preventing any spending on transportation, even if it benefits the Olympics. So we we just don't even want to you, know, you, you could say, oh well, is this benefiting the Olympics and make that impossible? Or, but you know, what we're saying is, look, even if something is constructed, a piece of transportation infrastructure that is 100% solely to benefit the Olympics, you could do that. So we're what what they're what the the, the real money, from my perspective, and what has been proposed for the Olympics that we're trying to block is the guarantee you know, which is billions, because you're talking about what they've proposed is over $8 billion to to run this and to build things. And if taxpayers are guaranteeing that, if there's a cost overrun, anything like what the history of the Olympics has been involved with, that's billions of dollars that the taxpayers would have to pay for. Um, If there's a revenue shortfall, like what happened in, in Vancouver when they were constructing the Olympic Village, you know, the taxpayers would have to pay for that. That's the thing that we want to avoid. And, um, and then the other piece is that, as they've proposed in their newest version of the bid, and it was something that was part of their first version of the bid, is, is a, a really enormous number uh, or dollar value of tax breaks to developers to develop the, the land um, where the uh, stadium would be built and, and some other things. And, and again, this is the kind of thing that we think should not be happening, and, and that's what we're trying to stop.
0: I asked Falchuk if he's reached out to any of the Boston bid leaders, possibly Governor Baker, or Mayor Walsh. He says, of course, he has. And he's even reached out to Steve Pagliocca, head of Boston 2024.
2: I reached out to him like a couple days or a day after he took the job. And I said, hey, Steve, got a lot of respect for you and your firm. You know, you know, we're working on this initiative. Love to talk to you, help you understand what it is we're doing. And, you know, he said, yep, let's that'd be good to meet. And it hasn't happened. You know, nothing's been set up. I mean, it's you know he uh, and, and which is sort of strange, but it's been that's really been the nature of it. Is is the you know there's been um, I don't know if it's a lack of interest or they they don't seem real interested in sitting down and talking to us. And it may be because we're just we we don't have we don't really have an agenda other than what we've set our agenda is. We're very transparent about what it is we're doing. We've released our language to the public and we've said what it's about and. They seem very interested in working the the inside game with the legislature. Um, so that's you know when when you talk about bid leaders and whether they're talking with us, they're they're definitely talking to people in the legislature.
0: While Falchek has yet to sit down with Steve Pagliuca, ATR's Ed Hula caught up with the Boston 2024 chairman in Toronto in the days leading up to the opening of the 2015 Pan Ams. In speaking with Hula, Pagliuca said that Boston bid leaders are in Toronto for the start of the Pan Ams and hope to learn a lot from organizers. He also noted that he and his team have only heard positive things about Boston's bid from IOC members and other sports figures in Toronto for the Pan Am games.
3: are they gotten? Have you gotten to talk to anybody? Are they asking you questions about Boston?
4: I've talked to many, many uh, of the officials here, the president, and uh, uh, they all say very positive things about Boston. There's a lot of relationships between South America and and Boston. So many of and kids go to school, or they've been to Boston themselves, so they have a very good impression of Boston.
3: Do do, do they hear about the? The struggles, the challenges that you're you're facing—do they ask you about that?
4: They have—they have not asked me about that. They've been very positive. So, uh, you know, obviously we got off the slow start with the big snowstorm that stopped our T system, but I think we're coming out of that now, and we're making progress.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, what are you telling them about Boston? I mean, how how much detail are you getting involved with with them, or is this more like, I am Steve Pagliuca, nice to meet you. And Let's get to know each other.
4: Uh, it's a little more than that, but, but just telling them about Boston, about how how the uh, city can, can really put on a compact kind of homey games, uh, how our stadium is only a mile from the airport, a couple miles from the airport, and it's very close to the big village, and it's going to be a fantastic kind of venue with all the universities and all the facilities we have there.
3: Is it really important to be compact? The dispersion of some of the venues to different places in Massachusetts?
4: Well, we're still very compact. If you, if you look at Boston, the, the size of the city, um, for example, Tokyo is, Tokyo is two thirds the size of Rhode Island. The, the city is two thirds the, the size of Rhode Island. Boston mm-hmm. is about kind of 1 20th uh, of the yeah. size of Tokyo. So we're still compact, and all our, me- all our metrics about how far distances are, we're still one of the most compact games that there will ever be. Barcelona is is similar to 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 Boston in terms of the compact nature. Is is, do you think that's really important anymore? Or I I think what's most important is 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 uh, putting on a a a very manageable, sustainable, efficient games. And for the athletes, it's great to be compact because the venues are are going to be very close to the villages. So the places like sailing in New Bedford, which which the uh, folks in sailing think is one of the best places in the world to sail we're going to have the the uh, village down there mm-hmm. so the sailors will be all right where they're going to sail and, uh, and and then the village of Boston is going to serve all those sites around Boston so it's still very compact I think it's great for the athletes. You've been to Lausanne to talk
3: with the IOC about your Boston plan but that was a few months ago. Were you able to Talk with them about some of the changes, some of the ideas that you had, you've put into practice. Yeah, I think it was three weeks ago. Two three,
4: three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, and we we talked about most of the changes that we put in, and and uh, and they were very receptive. And you know, what, what was most heartened by is uh, they are really implementing the 2020 agenda. They really want the sustainability, and they, they like the ideas that we had. Just
3: you know, getting back to the idea of compactness in the, in the Olympic Agenda 2020 program, it seems that sustainability is perhaps more important than compactness. If you can use facilities around an area, that's much more important perhaps than people being able to walk from venue to venue.
4: Yeah, and look, I, I think maybe walkable was a bad term. I think even even when we hadn't had a few venues outside, the better word is compact. So we're, we're still a very compact Olympics. I think they're both important. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to score high in both those dimensions. You know, because also it's important for the athletes to have great experience. And Boston, the way we're setting this up is it will be really integrated. It will become the Olympics. It's going to, it, the vast majority of the events are kind of inside the 128 ring of Boston, which is a very small area compared to many other places.
3: Now, this technically seems like international campaigning. Are you okay with d- doing that right now at this stage of the game?
4: Uh, you know, I don't think we're. I, I think we're just here to learn and and, uh, and uh, kind of kind of tell our story. Yeah, you don't have a, a Boston booth. You're not handing out
3: no. pins or no. asking for votes no, or anything, that. Like
4: no, we're really here to <coughs> here to learn about of uh, how the whole games works, and, and this is a great experience.
0: Be sure to tune in this week for more editions of ATR Radio, and as always, be sure to check into ATR online on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm Nicole Bennett. Thanks for listening.